This past week, I read about a young pastor in upstate New York who had once led a very successful businessman to Christ, and this man became a Christian out of a totally unchurched and secular background. And that means that this new Christian had no history with religious terminology. And once in a while, this man and this pastor would get together, and on one occasion, while they were visiting, this businessman now turned Christian kept referring uh, to the spook, the spook. He said to the pastor that the spook had shown him this, and that the spook had impressed upon him that, and that the spook had been prompting him to go in this particular direction in his life, and, and the pastor was listening and was at a, you know, at first a complete loss. The spook, what in the world are you talking about? And finally, it dawned on him that this rock-hewn pagan, now become a Christian, was referring in his stammering, unchurched way to the ministry and experience of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. And when you think about it, this man's experience was not too much unlike the experience of the early Christians. Before the disciples met Jesus, they they knew God. They knew him from the Hebrew Bible, and they prayed, and they trusted God to meet all of their needs. and, And then they met Jesus, and they were in awe. They were in awe that this one who looked so much like a man, he was a man, but he acted so much like God, the God-man. And they observed his life, and they observed the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible about the promised Messiah, and they came to the conclusion that Jesus was, in fact, the promised Christ. They saw him, and they heard him, and they lived with him, And more and more they were convinced that Jesus was God in the flesh. That he could do, that only what God could do, reach out in love and forgive in mercy. And when Jesus left, he promised his followers, his disciples, that he would send his spirit to accompany them. He promised that they would never be left alone. And this promise is what Jesus spoke of In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, in verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then in John 14, 25, Jesus says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
This morning we are going to converse about the person and ministry of God the Holy Spirit. And I simply want to answer three questions that are in your outlines this morning. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? That's question number one. Question number two is, what is his role? What's he do? And then question number three is, what does it take to enjoy his presence or his benefits? And while we're answering these three questions, I just want you to keep thinking in your head These words that the Holy Spirit is, and here are the words, our personal divine resident. Our personal divine resident. And with each of these questions, just those three words are going to kind of be unpacked for us this morning. The Holy Spirit is our personal divine resident. Who is he? What's his role? What's it take to enjoy his presence. Now, before I get into this, let me just say this. Look up here for a minute. Um, when you go out the um, doors here after services at our book table, our, our book of the week is a book by Francis Chan. It's called uh, Forgotten God, and it is uh, subtitled Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. So it is a book about the Holy Spirit, and um, that little video clip is from a Bible study uh, that is a part of this series, and I'd recommend it for your small group at some point in time, and our small group went through it, and we learned a lot, uh, and I want you to just listen to something that Francis Chan wrote in this book, uh, Forgotten God, that speaks to the importance of uh, our learning about the work and ministry, about this personal divine resident, and this is what he said, Francis Chan wrote, let's be honest, let's be honest, If you combine a charismatic speaker, a talented worship band, and some hip creative events, people will attend your church. Yet this does not automatically mean that the Holy Spirit of God is actively working and moving in the lives of the people who are coming. It simply means that you have created a space that is appealing enough to draw people in for an hour or two on Sunday. It certainly does not automatically mean that people walk out the doors moved to worship and live in awe of God. Isn't that, isn't that true? And then he asks this question. If people didn't recognize your face from church, would they know from your actions and lifestyle that you are a follower of Jesus? Now we're getting personal, as we should, as we explore who the Holy Spirit is, a personal, divine resident. Well, who is he? Who is he? Let's talk about that question. Um, And I, I already answered it in a way, didn't I? Who is he? He, the Holy Spirit, is a person. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a someone, not a something. The Holy Spirit is a personality, not an energy. And, and, and by person, I mean that the Holy Spirit has a mind. He has the capacity to think to reason. By person, I mean that the Holy Spirit has a will. He makes decisions. He decides. He determines. By person, I mean that the Holy Spirit has emotions. God has feelings too. And he can feel. And I've included in your outline this morning 
these activities that the Holy Spirit does because they are activities that persons do. And I've also included ways in which the Holy Spirit can be treated because he is treated in the way persons are treated. He can be lied to. He can be grieved. Um, and I didn't include this, but write this down. In Hebrews 10, 29, we learned that he can be insulted. He can be outraged because he's a person. He's not only a person, the Bible teaches. He is a divine person. And I've also included scriptures that speak of his divinity, all power, all knowing, his eternality. He is a divine person. And and here's the significance of this. Why does it matter that we consider the Holy Spirit as a divine person, as a divine person who is a personal resident in our hearts? It's simply this. If we think of the Holy Spirit sort of as Star Wars theology, may the force be with you, then what's going to happen is we're going to begin trying to figure out in our minds you know, how we can push or pull the levers or punch the buttons in order to manipulate this energy force so that this energy force will be able to work for us, for our benefit. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all in any way, shape, or form about the person in ministry, the Holy Spirit. Because the, the, the person and the ministry, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not an energy force to use the Holy Spirit as a person to know. And the, the, the question is not, you know, how much do I have of the Holy Spirit? The question is, how much does the Holy Spirit have of me in my life? You see, he's not a power to use. He's a person to know. He's a divine personal resident. He wants to make my life his home so that I will become more and more like Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 17, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And then he said in verse 23, if anyone loves me, and obeys my teaching. He will, if, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, the Holy Spirit, this divine personal resident who lives in my heart so that my heart and my life will become more and more like Jesus. Now, now whenever we have a guest in our home, whenever we have someone at the bolting house, the focus gets to be on the guest, you know? And, and the things that kind of annoy us, few things that there are, mind you, they, they, just, they, tend, to just, they tend to just dissipate because, because the guest becomes the focus. We pay attention to the guest. The, my behavior changes. The guest's glorious presence changes me. It is true. It's true. Your behavior can change depending on who is living in your life. And thus the question, do you know who's living in your life? Do you know this? And is this reality changing you? 
as a Christian right now? What, what, what paralyzing fear exists that wouldn't, if you paused long enough to ponder the wonderful truth that God, the Spirit, inhabits your life? You're not alone. You're never alone. Jesus says this. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Some of us, on the other hand, are not afraid of the Holy Spirit's absence. We're petrified of the Holy Spirit's presence. Because if it is true that the Holy Spirit is a person, and it is, and a divine person, and he is, who knows everything and is everywhere, then he's going to want to take the lead in my life. And that means I'm not going to be in charge of my life. You see? So the question, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now that you wouldn't do if you were more aware of the Holy Spirit's permanent residency in your life? What is it? And what aren't you doing that you should be doing because of the Holy Spirit's permanent residency in your life? The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a divine person. He wants to reside in our lives so that our life will become more like the life of Christ. That's who he is. And, and this leads us to question number two. What's he do? What's his role? And Jesus tells us here in verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Counselor. Another counselor. Another, another um, Another of the same kind of counselor, all right? There's, there's words in the Bible for another that would suggest another of another kind, a different kind, but here it's of the same kind. He will give you another counselor of the same kind to be with you forever. And what kind of counselor, though? What kind of counselor is Jesus talking about? He's talking about a, is he talking about a camp counselor? Is that what that is? is? Or is this like a psychologist kind of counselor? Or a school counselor? What, what does he mean when he talks about the word counselor? What's he saying there? It's a, it's, it is a very difficult word, admittedly, to translate. The New Testament comes to us by way of the Greek language. And some of your translations don't all have the word counselor. Some have the word comforter. Oh, comforter? Is God supplying a blanket? What is that? Or helper? Some of your translations have helper. What, what is, what's this word here? Let me teach you a Greek word for the day. Look, some preaching books say, don't mention Greek when you preach because that's kind of like showing off. Really, what they're implying is that you're just not smart enough to get it. I know better, okay? Not, not us, all right? Right? Right. So here's the word, okay? It is the word... Paraclete, on three, I want you to say that. One, two, three. Paraclete, again. Paraclete, paraclete, on three. One, two, three. Paraclete, para, paralegal, paramedic, para, to come alongside, cleat, kaleo, 
to address, to summons, to persuade, to argue, to make an argument. A paraclete is someone who comes alongside with you and makes an argument. So really, the word picture here is, is, is not the word picture of camping in the wilderness. The word picture here is that of a legal advocate. A legal advocate. Someone who stands with you in court and represents you and speaks for you. A legal advocate. Now what does that look like? Well, one author mentions that The Holy Spirit's ministry is to advocate for you against the enemies of your heart. I'm thinking of the enemy of doubt. We have doubts about our relationship with God. We get conflicted. We have a bad week. And we get conflicted about our relationship with God. And do I really belong to Him? And The Holy Spirit, our legal advocate, he comes alongside and he says, no, no, listen, you you do belong to God. You are his child. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of something that he wrote in Romans 8, 15 and 16. He says, Randy, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's his role to be my legal advocate against the enemies of my heart, the enemy of doubt. And then there's the enemy of temptation. I'm thinking of James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, where James says to the church, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then he says this, listen to verse 5, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Do you understand that? Do you realize that when we allow the world to entice us and bait us, when we begin to passionately pursue other idols, idols like sex or money or materialism or power or some other facet of the American dream, you know, the Holy Spirit just doesn't take that sitting down. The Holy Spirit, this divine, personal, permanent resident, He's kind of like our sponsor in our recovery from sin. And he treats us like a sponsor would treat us, which can get intense. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't even think about that. Don't, don't. Why did you say that? Now you're going to need to go apologize. Go. Go. Right now. See, the Holy Spirit's love has, has teeth to it. Has an edge to it. No. He's not a camp counselor you don't get to go home. And he's not a marriage counselor, you don't get to leave the office. (laughs) No. No, he is intervening all the time. That's the wonder. The gift, this gift of having the Holy Spirit in your life. And I'm so concerned that some of us buy into the folly that God's help ends once 
we make Jesus king. That, 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 that God's help ends at the delivery room of new birth in Christ. And I'm just concerned that some of us would mistakenly believe the folly that, you know, you're saved by God's grace, but you're kept by your own works. And now that you're a child of God, now that you've been born again, now it's up to you to grow. Really, is that what the scripture says? Paul says in Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Is there anybody here trying to attain? Attain their goal now that they've become a Christian and you're trying to just, you're just kind of sh- pushing that, chap, that, that tractor along? And people who do that, by the way, uh, generally arrive at two conclusions in their life. Number one, uh, just do your best. And number two, God understands. You know, like the red tractor. Red, we're the tractor. And so often our mentality, either individually or corporately, is just, you know, just, let's, just get, let's just get through this the best way we can. And in the end, we'll enjoy it all in heaven. Let's just kind of, you know, heave our way through. And, and, you know, and our lives, and our marriages, and our spending habits, and our calendars show this. Listen, if the Christian life is simply a matter of just doing our best, God would not have sent the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. If you have bought into the folly, the do-your-best folly, I've got news for you. Could it be that your best isn't good enough? Really? Have you thought about that? Maybe God doesn't want your best. Maybe God wants more than your best. Did your best earn salvation? Did it? Do you think your best can maintain your salvation? Do we honestly think that just doing our best will make us mature believers in Christ? Did Jesus not say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect? You say, well, okay, let's unpack that. You know, let's, what's the Greek word for that? The Greek word for that is perfect. Well, this, this is too hard. And God says, you're exactly right. In fact, it's impossible. It's impossible. But what's impossible for you is easy for me, God says. See? You see, the promise of the Holy Spirit is Jesus' way of tipping us off to one of the most profound truths of the Christian life. And it's this, it doesn't get easier with time. It doesn't. And if you find that thought thoroughly exhausting, it may just be that you have bought into the folly of having to do it by yourself, having to do it alone. It may just be that you have bought into the folly of Galatians 3, 3. One pastor who lived 1,500 years ago put it this way. Without the grace of Christ and the spirit of Christ, my free will can do nothing but sin. So I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit's permanent 
personal divine residency in my heart to make me more and more like Jesus and that he is my advocate. He is advocating, pleading against the enemies of my heart, the enemy of, of, of doubt, the enemy of temptation. And this leads to our third question this morning. How, how can I enjoy his benefits? How can I enjoy the benefit of his presence? And the answer to that question is, you have to know the first counselor. You have to know the first paraclete. You see, the Holy Spirit is the other paraclete. Jesus is the first paraclete, the first legal advocate. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a paraclete, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. When you receive Jesus as king, the king stands before the Father and he intercedes for me. And he argues for me on my behalf. And what's the substance of his argument? Here it is. Here it is. This is what Jesus is arguing before the courtroom of the Father. Father, Randy has sinned. He's guilty. He merits eternal death. But you sent me into Randy's world. And I have paid his penalty. I have paid his sin debt. My once and for all time sacrifice on the cross for Randy. Father, it would not be just for him to pay his sin debt because I've already paid for it. So give him, give him not mercy, Father, but give him justice out of my account. Out of my account. Father, I plead not for mercy for Randy, I plead for his total acquittal, acquittal. That's what Jesus is doing. Now, that's a good lawyer. And what I want to tell you, church family, is what God, what God the Son is doing in the throne room of heaven right now for all of us who have received him as king. What God the Son is doing before the throne room of heaven right now God the Holy Spirit is doing now on earth in your heart. And that's why Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit's constantly reminding me and constantly reminding our church, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your, look at Jesus. I like what J.I. Packer wrote in his excellent book, Keep in Step with the Spirit, J.I. Packer wrote, it is as if the Spirit stands behind us. He's standing behind us, throwing light over our shoulder on Jesus who is facing us. And the Spirit's message to us is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me. Always, always the Spirit's message is look at him. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. See his glory. Hear his word. Go to him now. Get to know him. Now, now, okay. Imitate him now. Now, write this letter. Give this gift. Speak up to that person. Offer to pray for that individual. Take that risk. Embrace this danger. Start this church. Call so-and-so. Take the risk. Be Jesus with skin on. As the other paraclete, the Holy Spirit is constantly moving us to stretch out our hands to Jesus 
as he glorifies Jesus. You see? You see how, do you see how self-giving our God is? God the Father gave his beloved son. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He gave him for us. And then when God the Son appeared, when Jesus appeared on earth, he gave himself. He emptied himself on the cross. And then the Holy Spirit came. Jesus gave his spirit and the Holy Spirit came and now the Holy Spirit empties himself. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I want my life to be in your life. Look to Jesus. There's no other God like that. None other exists. Now, do you want to know if you're spirit-filled or spirit-led or spirit-dominated? you want to know if you are? Here's the question. Are you, are you always promoting yourself? You feel like you're not getting enough credit? You always get uptight when you get insulted or challenged? You've been spending all of your time climbing up the ladder, helping only those who will help you? Or when you reside in the lives of others, are you throwing the light on Jesus? Is, is your residency at work or at home, is your residency characterized by the magnificence of divine selflessness? Are you fearless? Are you selfless? Are you generous? Are you like Grandma Harris? Grandma Harris, Paul Brand, um, a physician and Christian who gave us books such as In His Image and Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, Paul Brand talks about his grandma, Harris. Paul Brand writes, she was 80 when I first knew her and she lived to be 93. I never saw her walk unassisted. Her health confined her either to bed or to grandma's chair. In her quaint little room with its lace curtain and dark Victorian furniture. Can you smell that? Okay. Grandma Harris's room. Paul Brand said, my sister and I would visit that room for about an hour or so each day, and Grandma was bent and wrinkled, and she suffered severe headaches, and she radiated love. And when Grandma had trouble sleeping, she'd sometimes lay awake half the night, quietly reciting chapters from her storehouse of memorized scripture, and she'd pray for her 11 children and scores of grandchildren. Paul Brand wrote, my aunt's took turns sleeping in her room. And often in the middle of the night, Grandma would suddenly call for paper and pen and ask someone to write down her thoughts right there in the middle of the night. She'd say, I sense that Pastor Smith in Ipswich is in need of help right now. Please write him like this. And I mean, right then, and she'd dictate a letter and ask my aunt to write it and then at the end ask her to enclose a check for such and such amount. And days later, when the mail brought a letter of reply, Grandma would beam with joy 
because the letter expressed astonishment that she should have known the precise timing and amount of need. And then she would laugh with a pure sense of innocent delight. (laughs) And I love this last line by Paul Brand. We children marveled at the conspiracy of intimacy between the Holy Spirit and Grandma. I want you to be like Grandma Harris. I want to be like Grandma Harris. Maybe as we prepare to receive communion, as we are reminded of the generosity of the advocate who pleads to the Father, maybe we should consider this question of and for the other advocate. And here's the question, and then I'll pray. Holy Spirit, who do you want me to love today?